This podcast is brought to you by Speed, the award-winning PR and communications agency staffed by a team of creative and quick-thinking types who are passionate about communications and its ability to change the world like little else can. Hello, you're listening to Sound Thinking, a podcast that chats to some of the UK's most interesting thinkers and doers, people who are both challenging us and helping us change the way we engage, communicate and behave. This episode features a conversation with Chloe Comby. She's a writer, speaker, consultant and sought-after expert on youth issues. Chloe's book, Generation Z, Their Voices, Their Lives, is an often shocking, always enlightening portrait of how it feels to be young in modern Britain. It has garnered widespread critical acclaim. Chloe's also worked with a number of major brands, helping them build their understanding and engagement of Generation Z. Pepsi, Virgin Media, Google and Red Bull are among the many that have sought her advice. We should say that this podcast contains some mild bad language, nothing too serious, but just so you know, and of course, we hope you enjoy it. Hello, Chloe. Hello. Um, Thank you very much for joining us to have a chat this morning. We are in an office in East London. Very nice office, You can tell that because... It's very Clark and Willis. Exactly. (laughs) Bare brickwork, that's how you know you're in East London. So, who are Generation Z? for the people listening who's come across this term. Let's, let's define it first of um, all. Well, at, at the very core of it, and there, this isn't scientific, but I think you get a decade within um, a kind of a, a cohort of generation, 10 or 12 years at the very most. So I tend to apply 13 to 23-year-olds are Gen Z. So my, it's too early in the morning for me to compute exactly what years you had to be born in between. <laughs> but it's too. about current ages, 13, 13 to 23. 23. Beyond 23, I think you slip into that very well-worn millennial label. And then, of course, you know, you've got the Gen Xs, and then you've got the uh, controversial baby boomers, and then you've got the kind of silver surface. But I think Generation Z are current 13 to 23 years. So it's basically high school to the mid-years of university, UK university. How quickly did you realise that this generation shared a sufficient number of attributes to, to, to gather them in, in this way? Well, I, th- I think, I mean... One well, do we all do that? Does, do, do I, generation I mean, I, I, X, do I unconsciously share? I, I, th- I think you do, but I think there is that kind of quite universal shared experience that does tend to both label and unify you. Um, I mean, and there's very, very specific, wonderful things that you can apply to other generations that are very apparent and irrespective of, of where they come from or what class they come from or what colour they are. You can kind of go, oh yeah, that, that's a very Gen X thing or that's a very mm-hmm. millennial thing. But the thing is, I think that's um, the really kind of unites Generation Z, and it is, it is a unique thing to them, is they are the first generation that were born not really of the internet, but of the modern internet, so, so as we know it at the moment. So they have grown up never knowing a world without smartphones and instantaneous access to information and social media and instantaneous uh, entertainment. And that's been massively defining for them. I mean, um, that, that's a, in the kind of the, the long arc of history, that is an unusual experience to be the first generation never to have known you know, pre-internet, pre-Facebook, pre-Snapchat. And that is always going to define them, and that will define them for the rest of their lives. But I think that's, within the cohort, there's many, many things that are very individual and very different, and and you can, nobody is is crudely labelled. 
but as a unifying general thing, that would be the thing I think that defines Generation Z. Let's get into sort of some of the specifics that you kind of in, one infers from the book, but from your knowledge and your study of, of this generation. What's, what's important to someone in Generation Z? What, what values do they have? Are they different from our values? Are they universal values that they display? I mean, like kindness and humane or jealousy? I, 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 I mean, I think that the good is, I mean, and it's, a, it's not to be un, underestimated how good this is, is not, they're not, we're tolerant, it's embedded into them. I mean, there's, there's still going to be prejudice. But if you're a gay teenager or a bi teenager or a trans teenager or someone who hasn't quite decided on, you know, their gender, um, you know, the sort of gender fluid, it's unthinkable how much better their experience is going to be than the comparative gay or trans or, or bi teenager of even 10 years ago. And I think that has to be recognised as something significant. Um, this, again, you know, they're very, very intolerant of things like racism. If you're a, I think you visually see so many more mixed-race couples, and particularly young mixed-race couples, than you used to five or ten years ago. And that, that's just a visual. Um, veg- vegetarianism and veganism and recycling are on all-time high because unlike, say, people in the 50s and 60s, even if they're uh, aware of the world around them, this is a generation who have to live in this world for the next 50 or 60 and 70 years, so they're realising they're having to make significant changes. I mean, if you look over the pond at America, the people, I mean, they've, they've buggered this up so badly, this, the, the, sort of the, the gun issue, for example, in America, and it's not adults in Congress or in the White House saying we, this is a crisis and we need to make this change. That's Generation Z pushing that. That's, that's high school students who are mm. trying to turn around that crisis. So I think the positives have to be this idea of, of not let's wait for change or want for change, let's make change. And that is very Generation z Unlike, I think, maybe millennials who are a little bit more like uh, cool, cool apathy. And, and, and that kind of apathy has been disastrous in many ways because you you know the 18 to 24 turnout and you know which is you know that kind of older gen z millennial thing the was i think it was around 36 percent for the year uh, the you know the brexit vote and look what happened and now there's an awful lot of understandably correctly there's a lot of huge amounts of angst and anxiety and wish that that hadn't happened and it's absolute fact if the younger vote had turned out in, in the masses, in the, in the numbers that the 60 pluses did, that wouldn't have happened. And I think that that has really impacted on younger teenagers. It's vibrant as a discussion in school, high schools and colleges. We can never, ever let older people make the decisions about our future for us. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch how that you know kind of manifests and kind of embeds in society, but I, I think apathy is a thing of the past. So, conversely, then, what what do you think scares older generations? You mentioned as we were chatting as you came in, you know, a lot of parents read this book and they they get worried. They think, gosh, this is terrifying. I said I'd read it. I'm a child. Um, it's, it's, what, what, that's the positive, talking about awareness and uh, you know, lack of apathy, that's great. But what are the things do you think, that, what are the misconceptions I, of the older generations of, of generations? What, so. I think the thing that worries me personally, and I think it's huge, and I don't actually really think this is Generation Z's fault, but it is absolutely a feature of, of them, 
is that we we've become a very anxious world and um, um, so, so post I think 2007-2008 when Gen Z were children no really since 2000 when the kind of generations that were beginning to be born the world became a very anxious place you had 9-11 you had you know huge kind of sort of upswing in what, what felt like an upswing in terrorism you had big domestic things for example like the kidnap of Madeleine McCann and that made people um, across the world incredibly anxious and it threw out this idea of basically letting your kids be free or ever letting your kids out your sight um, and, and we really instilled in, in kids um, that the world is a scary dangerous place so the kids who are now sort of coming of age as, sort of, as Gen Zers have grown up in, in, with this genuinely belief that the world is a scary place and there's people waiting on every corner to do terrible things with them. I don't think that's right, but that's kind of the message that they've, that they've been instilled in. And it's also been instilled into parents, never let your kids out your sight or you're a terrible parent. As we're, and we've also, obviously, as, as we've become more and more dependent on technology, so this is, again, the first period in history ever where we can do absolutely everything from the comfort of our own home we can eat we can be entertained you, you know we can get sex you know whatever at the touch of a button um so as a result it's what i call i think it's my my phrase i call generations at a generation of socializers which is stay at home socializing and um I think that's convenient for parents. If you're, you know, my, you know, Katie and Johnny are upstairs watching Netflix or chatting to their friends online or updating Instagram. But I think ultimately the long curve of that is actually it's been incredibly negative for uh, generations there because I think in some ways they've become a very unadventurous, uh, very anxious. You know, we're sort of seeing this massive explosion in mental health, uh, very dependent on the home. Um, generation that have completely rejected, I think, all the really wonderful things that used to be traditionally attached to teenagehood, you know, the, the wanderlust of going out and seeing the world, of getting the hell away from your parents. And instead, I think you've gotten this quite, and I always say that history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. And I think what's really interesting about Generation Z is actually they have quite a lot in common with 1950s teenagers, barring mobile phones and technology. It's they're very happy to stay at home they're very happy to live at home. There's been this kind of general acceptance um, that that might be reality. And the other really interesting thing is, and this is absolutely part and part of this, uh, you know, aside from the fact that education is very good, that um, drinking booze, smoking fags, and recreational drug taking and teenage pregnancy are the lowest they've been since about 1965. Um, I'm guessing the teenage pregnancy is probably, you know, attached to the fact they're very sober all the time, <laughs> but um, but the but the point being is that there is this conservatism uh, that is very very true of Generation Z that I think is very 1950s ish, except for the fact you know that they've got this access to technology which is is, is you know very different, um, and I you know and that's not good that's not good if you have you haven't done your kid any favors if they've got to 16 and they're anxious and want to stay in their bedrooms and they're terrified of the world. So when we're seeing this, this isn't like a few, this is hundreds of thousands of seven, eight, nine-year-olds, anxious, sleepless, having nightmares. And these are pre-Chen Zs. If we're gonna become anxious, sleepless, nightmarish, quite literally kind of 
teenagers. You know, of course, of course, I sympathise with this this idea of handing your kid or allowing your younger teenagers to have a smartphone or an iPad or a computer. But I think in other places in parts of the world, I think there has to be a line where there is also some uh, interaction with with your your teenager as well. Because I, w- one of the things that I I definitely noticed when I was doing Generation Z. It doesn't, and this is across class. When you interview kids, and they can be the poorest or the richest kids, you can see immediately they have a quality about them. The kids who have um, external dimensions to the technological world, they have a life and a family where there's reading and music and playing and interaction and, and, and friends and interests and stuff like that. You can just see it, they have that quality. And you have these kids who like are hothoused through you know, the best schools at you know, ridiculous sums of money. And, you know, if they, if they don't have interests, if they don't have friends, if they don't have a kind of life, if they don't have interested parents, they, they have that kind of flatness to them. And, and, and it was really interesting. You could, you could really sort of see that in all the interviews. You thought, you could sort of see, I bet you have a, you know, you have a scruffy kid who's probably got no money, but you can see the ones who've probably got an interesting external and internal life. Let's go back a little, one stage, back to sort of social media. Um, I mean, a lot of what you've said sort of has touched upon this, but, you know, if millennials were the guinea pigs, then Gen Z are the ones that have inherited the mm. fully formed, mm. multi-platformed, you know. Um, what have been the impacts for good and bad on, on, well, on I mean, the generation? I, I mean, social media, I'd say even more, you know, if someone said to me, what is the most influential thing in, in Gen Z life, Gen Z's life, I'd say absolutely social media. And I think the thing with Gen Z, which really fascinates me, is that, you know, there's this sort of thing in theatre about the mask becoming the face. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a technological generation. This is a thing that they've they've been forged in the fire of the internet. And it really interests me how much, how how indistinguishable they are between... I think millennials and Gen Xs, I think they have this online self and this offline self, you know, private public self, you know, and everybody tries to make themselves look really good on social media. But I think... Generation Z, they li- exist so much on social media and they put every single element of themselves on social media that they've become quite indistinguishable from their social media selves. I mean, one of the examples is, you know, and I talk a lot to kind of the fashion and beauty industry, girls say to me, I don't want to look like me, I want to look like filter online me. Because, and I think that is genuinely because they spend so much time through living through the lens of social media, then when they look in the mirror in real life, it becomes a shock. Actually, that's my real self, and they, and they want their kind of whatever you call it, their virtual reality selves. And it also, you know, as of this year, the most aspirational job for a current 14 year old is a YouTuber. Not a footballer, not a model, not a Hollywood actor. They want to be a YouTuber. And they, and the thing about YouTubing, is it's great in the sense it's it's a really democratizing thing. It enabled any kid. You know, all you needed was a smartphone, and you could, be, could become this kind of sensation. And also, the audience appointed the stars. It wasn't some Simon Cowell, some Bengali figure saying this is going to be a 
the star and this person isn't. It was the audience that I love this person and, and, and elevated them to sort of superstardom, which I think is a really, really good thing. But the trouble is, it's now become every kid is desirous to, be, to become this kind of, this, this social media star, this Instagram or YouTubing or Snapchat is a new emerging platform as, as the kind of the new stars. And so kids will, will film and photograph, Gen Z will film and photograph and doctor every part of their lives. And I think it almost becomes like their lives become performance art because everything is thought through the lens of how will this look online. So like curating your personal brand. Yeah, that and, and, and that's, that that's exactly it, that every single kid sees themselves as a potential brand. And all you have to do is start with 100. You, 100 people follow you on YouTube and then 1,000 people you follow YouTube. And, you know, most of them aren't going to become, you know, the next Logan Paul who should be catapulted in space in my opinion but you know there's a chance and, the, and I think they genuinely feel like there's a hell of a lot better chance of becoming like the next Logan Paul than there is the next Ryan Gosling and that's probably true. So I suppose that's a, a, a useful seg to sort of talk about marketing you talk about brand and mm. so does Generation Z respond to traditional marketing in the way that no. generations previously to them have done so? No, and for a quite simple reason, that they don't go to the traditional places. I think the most powerful example of that, and it must do brands' heads in, and I do have some sympathy, is this is the first generation who don't have a magazine. Every other generation from, I'm guessing, like pre-World War II, had their defining magazine that they read passionately and shared with their friends, whether it was the enemy or melody maker or loaded in the, like I'm told it was good in the good days or just 17 or more or heat magazine or, you know, or, or, or you know, Marie Claire or, you know, all those ones because the, 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 the magazine or magazines that you read to find your particular tribe, you know, mm. if you were like, you know, indie kids, you know, you read the melody maker, whatever. Um, and that was that was that was really important. And Christ, I mean, that must have been you know marketing and advertising gold because you whoever you wanted to target, you wanted to sell black lipsticks, you know, you or you know um, whatever the, you you uh, market and advertise in those magazines. Uh, ditto, you know, it specific, you know, the the water cooler moments of terrestrial television when things like E4 really took off. That was hugely popular with the kind of university, high school crowd. Certain films, you know, that were particularly popular with young people, like you know, the American Pie franchise, whatever. And the, the, but quite simply, the, yeah, generations, they don't consume old media. Not, not a little bit, they don't consume it at all. It's not, it, you know, you go into a group of average 15-year-olds and you say to them, who bought a magazine? in the last month, it wouldn't be unusual for not a single one of them to have done that. Um, and, and, you know, everyone, oh my God, everyone watched Love Island. No, they didn't. Its highest peak figures was about 4.5 million. When you consider, like, X Factor and its zenith was getting, like, 20 million viewers. Um, it's, there is no contest. So for marketers to have any hope of reaching Generation Z at all, they have to, they have to tackle YouTube, they have to tackle social media, um, and even then, the, the, the medium is, is very, very tricky, I'd say, because people don't watch YouTube adverts. Um, they, they completely zone out. There isn't, and, and, and because there's such a multiplicity of things vying for our attention, I mean, I do this 
when uh, watching a YouTube video, the advert comes on, you mute the advert and look at something on your phone. And 50, 30 seconds later, you look back at the video you want. So the, the key really is, is you have to kind of figure out your platforms, but the only possible way that you can have a hope of engaging people's attention when you're on YouTube or, or Twitter or Snapchat is you have to have a kick-ass, really exciting, really attention-grabbing, really short advert or marketing strategy. I mean, a really good, and, and, and the gold, gold standard of that is a viral, one that goes viral and everybody's not only watching it, but sharing it with each other. So a really good example, I think it's supposed to be a dreadful film, but the, um, it was a very frightening film called The Conjuring. And um, it was actually, it was one of the first films, I think, that had been given an 18 certificate for just being frightening. And it's inevitably become a fairly shitty franchise that each film has gotten, was consistently worse. And I think there's a film called, the last one in the franchise, called The Nun, which is about like a ghoulish nun. And I think it's supposed to be a fairly dreadful film, but they, via Snapchat, did a nun filter where you blew out the nun and you blew out a candle on, on, on Snapchat and then you thought that was it but then this and you'd see a kind of nun coming up behind you and like, oh that's a bit scary and then it goes Wah! and <laughs> it was a really really brilliant Snapchat filter and it went <laughs> super 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 viral everyone's like oh my god I mean that's gold gold marketing it's clever but it's also loads of people say oh my god I've got to go and see the film and I think the, the, the filter was probably better than the film. And also, I mean, one of the things I think was a brilliant move, and this is slightly old school, but it is, it was really clever, was when, because I think generations had a quite, I mean, ev everyone's narcissistic and people love being involved in things and the, the, the gorgeousness of people being involved in your campaigns is it becomes free marketing because they share it. But really clever one was the Coke bottle name. Mm. Because people not, so it was a three pronged assault because people went and bought the, the coke they'd also buy one for their mum their dad their sister their brother their friends they'd take a picture of it and they put it on social media everybody did that i mean it's it's inconceivable how much free marketing that was so i think the, the standard is you have to grab people you have to entertain and amuse people you have to up, upset or excite people or you have to get people involved and if you can do all four or five of those then you're, you're golden you're fine so what, what brands, you know, resonate with Generation Z? What, what? I, well, I mean, one of the things I think that um, uh, is so important for brands to recognise that in this era we have, and this is a bit of a secret I'll let you in on, in um, th this, I think, and we're going to get worse, and this is certainly true for Gen Z and millennials, as we, we enter into this period of great uncertainty and where there feels like a real vacuum of leadership and particularly moral leadership. You know, we've, we've seen this across the globe. Um, I think young people, Gen Z, are increasingly looking for their brands, not just for stuff or cool stuff or to look cool. I think they're looking for ethical voice and ethical guidance. And I think increasingly, it's a ridiculous situation we're going into, but we're seeing loads of situations recently where brands, where governments have, have done and said terrible things and brands have be, become taken the sort of temperature of the young population and been the voice of reason. I mean, Nike is a really good example in the States, Nike. Um, you know, we've got a president in the United States who is, is racially abusing a, an ex-NFL star for kneeling in, in, in process, the anthem in process of police brutality, for, you know, against young black people. And, you know, it should be 
you know, the, the, the leadership of, of whatever country to be saying, hold on a minute, it's not right, but it's a conglomerate, a, a huge, huge company like Nike, who've become um, this, this, this kind of moral voice of reason. And I think that's a really interesting situation for brands, because I think increasingly, certainly over the next four or five years, I think brands are going to have to um, uh, make a kind of ideological and political choices. I think they're going to have to, because we, we live in a very binary, polarised time. You're either one thing or you're another. You're left or you're right. You're feminist or you're anti-feminist or whatever. And I think brands, it's, it, I think it's a tricky line to walk and I do have some sympathy, but I think increasingly brands are going to have to say this this is who we stand for and this is who we are. And I think there, there is always a danger that you're going to alienate some people. You've got all these white, sort of uh, conservative white Christians male Christians burning their Nikes, which seems like a bit of a weird protest because they've already paid for them, so I don't suppose they're that bothered. But the payoff is that they're being made to look very good, particularly in the eyes of young people. I think that the, the, the trick is with brands, I think they're, they're going to have to stand something. I think they're going to have to uh, give kind of both excitement and pleasure. Um, and I think the uh, this is, you know, a, a, a generation that is quite economically you know, it's, we're in quite hard times. I think they have to be affordable. Just going back one, one step, um, I think maybe as a sort of Generation X, I have a problem with brands taking moral positions. Do you? I think just sell me trainers, you know, or mm. sell me a computer and I'll get my political views from somewhere else. I will read a newspaper, I will see what The Guardian thinks and I will mm. agree with that or I will, you know. Um, and it's slightly, for me, you know, a little bit disconnect between, you know, we exist to make money, but also we believe this thing. I think, you know, for me, there's a, but presumably from what you're saying, that sort of citizen doesn't exist. Among no, 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 absolutely. I think that there is, you know, and when you think about it, I, I, and I have done a kind of, you know, very sort of, you know, crude straw poll. I'm, the Gen Z will, t will have more faith now in Google and Apple and you know the big Silicon Valley brands or companies, and they do in political parties. You know, if you ask any kid whether Google or the Labour Party are more influential than them, I can promise you they're going to choose Google. Well, they're right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, Particularly the but uh, you know, or you sort of say, do you? I mean, if it's not even a contest, you get more information from the Guardian newspaper or Google or Wikipedia or whatever. It's it's, it's not even a contest mm. anymore. It's, it's like you know, it's. it's you know, it's David and Goliath, and unfortunately, in this battle, Goliath has won. <laughs> <laughs> and in that, everything's changed. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. absolutely and, it, you know, and it enters. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying I think we have to be very, very careful. And I really hope that the next 10 years we enter into this much better, uh, responsibly controlled internet because I, I'm very, very worried, very worried indeed. But, you know, this, you know, this emergence of this idea of fake news, but there is so much bollocks out there. Um, I want to talk in a minute about, as we come to the end, about the future. But before we do, and apologies for sort of reducing this to sort of to sound bites, but that's the world we live in. Indeed. Um, what, let's say, three things that marketeers need to bear in mind when selling to Gen Z if they want to do it effectively? Three things, five things, four, I don't know, a number of things. Simple. So, Make your message simple, you know, it's snappy in a sentence. The 350 million pounds to the NHS on a bus, everybody remembers. Um, you have to, to go back to the point about sort of the non thing, you have to be, it has to be entertaining. 
you know, if you bore, sort of bore people, don't capture their imagination, they're not just not going to remember you. They're not going to pay attention in the first place. And um, the, the gold standard is, is you have to go viral. You have to do something that's so, and, and this, this, you know, so it's based so much around kind of creativity and originality and imagination and humour or sex or horror. It doesn't really matter how you get the message. But if you get people going, bloody hell, you have to see this, then you have created something that not only has engaged people's imagination, but it means that they'll share with all your friends, but, but they'll, they'll actually kind of seek, seek out. I mean, when things, I mean, this, I think this is true of everyone, but certainly in Generation Z, that when things, um, you, you, you know, are, are so interesting and wonderful that you feel the need to share them with 10 people, that's very powerful, but it absolutely means you're going to go back and, and look at that brand and check out, what, you know, check out what, you know, that company. And I think that that's incredibly important. I think, you know, it's, it's similar, I guess, to the old days of when they used to create those, those um, you know, in, my dad was saying about that, these, these event adverts, you know, Levi's, I think, did them really well. And they, you know, were on at the cinema or on, on television and, and everybody sat down and watched them. And it's similar to that, to, to those, to that kind of principle, I guess. But your, your uh, challenge, if you choose to accept it, is you've got to do that in about 20 seconds. Mm. And also, I think for marketers, I think a really wise strategy is to do uh, 15, 20, 30, one minute, two minute versions of things. Um, because there are different platforms it's different appropriately and I know for a fact when I've seen the short of something I think you know it's, it's a bit like the trailer of, of, of the thing I want to see the whole thing um, okay so relatively quickly when Gen Z are running the world what's the world going to be like I'm hoping better than it is currently um, I mean I don't we need to not get caught up too much with, with, and this is what I always say to Generation Z, don't believe people who tell you the world is worse. In fact, the world on, on, the, on the long, long arc is better. You know, health is better. World peace is relatively better in most places. You know, people, you know sort of political stuff feels a bit unstable. But generally speaking, things are improving. Um, but I think it goes back to um, the kind of the apathy thing that I think that, you know, in terms of ecological, environmental, political, social, I think there's going to be this, this absolute kind of leaps forward. I think we're going to have to, if we, we want the, the, the population to keep expanding, um, you know, sort of, the population's dipping, none of them are having sex while remaining in their bedroom, we're going to have to kind of get them out of their bedrooms and engage with the world. I, th- I think, that, I think there's, there's hope. And I think there's real areas of concern. I think the hope is this, this stride towards uh, positive changes, this stride towards kind of actually really, really quite quickly turning around uh, all the things that are really problematic and we've messed up, you know, plastic in the sea, uh, you know, the very weird weather. I think there's awareness that, 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 sort of that has to, the brakes have to sort of go on it. Um, I think um, the things that we have to fix for generations that all they have to fix for themselves are cultural and social. So this idea of kind of uniting, of not being fearful of people who aren't like you, I think that's a really big thing. Um, um, do, and I think, obviously, the kind of economic thing, that's going to be, I think, the big issue of the next five or ten years, because we've spoken... There, there is no debate 
where gender equality and sex equality and civil rights and gay rights and things like that aren't heavily entrenched in the, the debate. One of the things that we haven't had a debate about, and it really amazes me that Generation Z haven't quite caught on to this, is we don't talk about generation equality. And at the moment, there's so much weighted up on the sort of the, the end of the, the older end of the scale and so little on, on the younger end of the scale, the Gen Z scale. And the, the disparity between Generation Z and baby boomers can't it can't continue. It's it, it's going to topple, you know, particularly to become an aging population. So I think if I were Generation Z, that's the conversation that I would really push forward next is how we're going to make things a bit more equal in terms of generational stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, Chloe's book, Generation Z: Their Voices, Their Lives, is published by Windmill Books and uh, is available in bookshops and. All the usual places. All the usual places, I used to say in the 90s. Um, Amazon didn't exist in the 90s, but yeah. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It's, it's endlessly fascinating. We could spend all afternoon talking about it, but um, you've got to fly off to various exciting I do. places. I do, I do. I'll be picking out dispatches from various places. <laughs> thanks very much. Thank indeed. you. Thank you. hope you enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about Chloe, her work, and to find a link to buy her book, visit www.speedcommunications.com and follow the links on the homepage. While you're there, take a look around the site where you'll find lots about the great ideas, great work, and great people that make Speed the success it is. So until next time, goodbye.